Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Good morning. Hello. And sports are kind of back. NASCAR event in Darlington. Over the weekend, some of the sights of the new reality. The new normal that is very abnormal that will be a constantly changing normal in coming weeks and months. But it's progress. It's been a long drought. Kevin Harvick got his 50th career cup series win on monday or on sunday in darlington on monday we react mainly to what's going on in the football world but chris it's nice to see that some sports were back there was a big golf match over the weekend on nbc as well the beverly hills dog show last night which was taped before the pandemic so we're 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 moving in the direction of something and the unofficial start of summer is coming up this weekend with memorial day you know I go into this phase with vague hope that between everything that's happening behind the curtain scientifically and the better understanding that the rest of us who aren't doctors, scientists, et cetera, have about this virus and how to live with it, that maybe by the unofficial end of summer, Labor Day weekend will be in a much different place, a much better place, and a place where there's a lot more going on in the sporting world, and specifically, we'll be getting ready for the start of the football season. At this point, all we can do is hope that that's what will happen. Yeah, all we can do is hope, but it's a good start. I'll take it. I'll take anything live, new, whatever it may be, and let's just continue to be smart. That's all we can do. Take baby steps, break down little barriers, hopefully to kind of further along our, you know, civilization here a little bit, but let's not be stupid. Whether that's my friends, my family or sporting events, you know, let's try to be smart about it and take calculated risks or make calculated decisions. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at in this whole process. I think you're getting close to that as well. And uh, hopefully things will trend in the right direction. There's a document floating around with some of the things baseball is proposing for its life in the pandemic. No, 
tobacco, no sunflower seeds, no spitting, no fist bumps, no high fives. And I think of that and I say, okay, it makes sense. It's easy to eradicate those things from baseball. They're really not necessary to the game. But then you got football where you got 22 guys that are pressed in fairly close quarters. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be impossible to keep uh, saliva and droplets and other things from changing from one player to the next, which means testing is the key. Diagnostic testing on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on the way into a facility, on the way out of a facility, before a game, after a game. And uh, again, I think the world is going to be a lot different by the time we get to Labor Day weekend. The NFL is confident the world is going to be a lot different by the time we get to Labor Day weekend. And again, at this point, all we can do as we get ready to head into Memorial Day weekend is just hope and make the most out of what we have. As NASCAR did yesterday, you make adjustments and you go about your business. And we'll see if that extends to football and the NFL continues to be confident that it will. When, not if, but when the NFL season begins in September, Russell Wilson will continue to be playing for the Seattle Seahawks. But, Chris, (laughs) (laughs) And what what a slow fuse this was. It's been 11 days now since we did a PFTOT segment on untouchable players, untradeable players. And this was all sparked by the suggestion the Bengals, under no circumstances, would have traded the number one overall pick this year, making Joe Burrow, without ever playing a, a game in the NFL, untradeable, which is kind of ludicrous because he's unproven. So we tried to list the guys who really can't be traded. And we agreed Patrick Mahomes can't be traded, wouldn't be traded. Lamar Jackson can't be traded, wouldn't be traded. Aaron Rodgers can't be traded because of his cap hit and maybe wouldn't be traded, although who the hell knows at this point. And then we came to Russell Wilson. Fairly innocuous comment that you made, and it wasn't the first time you mentioned that there was some chatter about the Seahawks talking to the Browns about the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. And you said it. We talked about it. We went about our business. And nobody said anything for like a week. It like just sat there. And then eventually people noticed it. Eventually people reacted to it. And for me, what happened was people who are relevant to the conversations, relevant to the circumstances, they started getting texted by reporters asking them questions. So I had like questions to me like what the hell did you guys do what did you say (laughs) and that's how it all blew up on Thursday it's uh it's crazy because you know like you said um I I didn't really realize it blew up either I had some people texting me last Wednesday night hey we you know we'd love to have you on and talk about the Russell Wilson stuff and I remember going on pro football talk like did news break about Russell Wilson that I'm not aware of and you know to what you said also Mike I don't know when I brought this up for the first time around, which I, I want to say was some sometime early in the 2019 season, maybe training camp right around that that time. But, hey, listen, long story short, you know, the 2018 draft with Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and that whole group of guys, yes, I was told, you know, not long after the 2018 draft by somebody connected to one of the teams that that was a conversation that was had. I didn't – was never told that it got deep into conversations. There was never a point of, oh, hey, let me go back to my people and let's talk about what you know what we need to do to make this work. I was just told that that was floated out there for the Cleveland Browns. 
And that, yes, you know, I, I think there was, uh, you know, some gauging of the temperature there of where that might go. And then I just sat there and didn't really know anything about it. Right. And oh, man, that's an interesting, you know, little tidbit. And then a few months went by, went by and I talked to somebody else involved with one of these two teams and they kind of confirmed it to me. And that's where, you know, I finally had the guts finally to say it on TV or our podcast. I can't remember where I said it initially. Um, but, you know, that's really the gist of the story. And, you know, the pr people I've got telling me this are pretty high level and uh, in the know. So I, I was never led to like believe that this was a rumor or bullcrap or something that was out there. I was being told by people that were in the direct know of the situation. And uh, again, I don't know how far it got, but I do know John Dorsey and John Schneider have a very good relationship. And I think there was a conversation between those two men at one point. Well, and it's funny because we'll get accused of trying to sensationalize and to and to conjure up clickbait. And look, if that was the case, I'd have written the story the day that you mentioned it the first time. At a minimum, right. I would have done it last Thursday, not four days ago, 11 days ago, when you blurted it out again during PFTOT. But I mean, I it, it's it it. For whatever reason, I didn't lock onto it and say, hey, I got to go make this the top story at PFT. But last Thursday, four days ago, when I start getting contacted by people who would know what happened, who do know what happened, who are curious about why all of a sudden this is at their doorstep, and right. who through the normal conversation start saying things to me that make it damn clear that it happened, that was time to mobilize. That was time to write about it. And that was time right. to try to push a little bit forward as to what may happen into the future, Chris. And look, there are people who think that Russell Wilson eventually is going to get traded. Not that it definitely will happen, but that this sense, this, this dynamic between Wilson and the Seahawks is very quiet and contained. I don't want to say acrimony, but there's tension. There's tension. They've been through multiple difficult negotiations, and Wilson has won both of them significantly. And one of the reasons why he wins these negotiations, he's got an agent who represents one football client. He's like Tom Hagen from The Godfather. He's got one client. He doesn't have to worry about five other players who play for the Seahawks and properly having the right relationship so those guys don't get screwed if the Seahawks are mad at him because of the bargain that he drove for to get for Russell Wilson. When you have one client in the entire NFL, you can take a much different approach to how you represent that client because you don't have that broader relationship you have to worry about. And uh, Russell Wilson has done a great job of getting great contracts, $35 million per year on only a four-year extension. We talk about what Dak Prescott's trying to get from the Cowboys. If Dak Prescott was represented only by an agent who had one and only one client in the NFL, maybe it would be easier for him to get what he wants. But that's, that's what's been beneficial to Russell Wilson. But it's all cr also created this vague sense, Chris, that, that something could happen. And the reason there's a no-trade clause in the current contract Russell Wilson the the reason for that no trade clause right is what you've mentioned multiple times the That's fact that they I talked to told. the Browns about trading Russell Wilson right right you know and, and again I you know I we're not really hearing anybody within either organization come out and go no this is totally nobody false. has this said no no so nobody that, has said that's no something to connect nobody. right 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 yeah. nothing in the Cleveland Plain Dealer 
saying, no, fake news. Nothing in the Seattle Times or any of the Seattle papers saying fake news. Where's John Dorsey? Has John Dorsey come out and said, this is, lo- this is ludicrous. I, this is, I, there's never been a conversation like that in my life. John Schneider, nothing. And here's the thing we got to remember. They're former colleagues in Green Bay, right? They know each other well. And it didn't right. have to be a who called whom first, right? It's as simple as these guys talk on a regular basis. They're friends. They're just spitballing. Like you and I no were talking doubt. about something, a topic comes up, and maybe the topic comes up, and it's like, oh, this is intriguing. Why? I'd never thought about that. You Are you suggesting that you would be willing to trade Russell Wilson? Well, in, in theory, we've got the first pick and the fourth pick. What would – I mean, if you're, is this something that you actually would do? And they talk about it a little bit, and then they realize it's not going to work. But it doesn't mean they didn't talk about it. It doesn't mean That's it wasn't right. a topic for conversation. And uh, and, and it's just – it's ama- and, and this uh, – I, I'm, I'm so used to this now. The Seahawks fans who don't want to hear it are just going to plug their ears and shout and say that anyone who is suggesting any set of facts different from their worldview is just lying. Well, okay, fine. Think what you want to think. But under these circumstances, something happened. Something was discussed. And to me, the big takeaway is it's something that can come around again. And just because there's a no trade clause doesn't mean he can't be traded. All it means is Russell Wilson controls his destination. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, that's the bottom line. Something was discussed. You know, again, I didn't throw this out there to be like, let me see if I can cause a stir and get a few headlines and some clickbait. You know, no, I'm I'm not into that. I mean, you know, I know people thought I thought that or thought that when I said New England, it was going to be, I mean, with Brady, it was going to be New England and Tampa Bay. Why? I'm not into the news breaking business. You know, I know a lot of people around football and, you know, I, I get information all the time. This was one that was fed to me by somebody in the very much in the know where I just sat there and went, Ooh, that's interesting. And then, like I said, got it confirmed more and more to where I went, all right, I think there's a few people that know about this now. I'm going to blurt it out one of these days on the show. And that's how it went. Like, like you said, too, I don't think this discussion's got real serious, but I think the discussions happen. I mean, I know they happen. So that's all there is to that. And, you know, also, too, with the relationship with Russell Wilson and that discussion, you know, yeah, Russell Wilson's been a very weird relationship with an organization that he's the face of and has been to two Super Bowls. But, you know, a lot of that was, hey, one, the team kind of hated on him for years. The defensive players, I feel like, didn't want to really give Russell Wilson the respect maybe he deserved. Or maybe they felt like they were being slighted. I don't know. Either way, I think that hurt Russell Wilson in the eyes of the locker room and the team that way. Um, and... You know, you're, you're right. With their agent and his him having only Russell Wilson as his only guy there, it allows him to, you know, put teams put a team's feet over the fire a little bit more than maybe uh, you would if you had a lot of clients. And let's not forget it's- the biggest point. The Seattle Seahawks went to two Super Bowls because John Schneider and Pete Carroll drafted a quarterback in Russell Wilson in the middle of the draft, got him on a rookie contract, and built an unbelievable team around him and a great defense. And I think those are two guys that think they can do that again. And, and, you know, I think they have that self-confidence. So they were probably dabbling in that idea a little bit around the 2018 NFL draft. Man, we're going to have to play Russell Wilson a lot of money. Man, maybe we should just try to do what we did the first time around and see if we can get rid of this money, get a young quarterback, build a defense and a roster again, and see if we can play that same way and be successful. And I think that's that's really the, the gist of it. They're experimenting, you could say, with the concept of having Russell Wilson at the top of the pay scale for a few years to see what kind of a team they can put around him when he's got $35 million per year coming to him. 
And because it's a short-term extension relative to these six-year deals, we see Aaron Rodgers like signed six years into the future. He did that twice now. Russell Wilson has twice signed a four-year extension. He will be back at the trough again, and the Seahawks and Wilson will be back in that posture again. And the next time around is the time that he could be traded. Next time could be the time that what he wants is so much more than what the Seahawks want to pay that they decide right. to set the clock back to 2012 where they say we're going to get a guy who's coming out of college. And you think of how different it is now. In 2012, it really was a crapshoot with college quarterbacks. Now we see they're hitting far more often than they aren't. And if you they need are. a quarterback, you go to round one, you do your scouting, and you bring a guy in and you let him do at the college level – and the NFL level, the same thing. Don't try to turn him into something that he isn't already, and that has resulted in success for plenty of teams. So, look, and back to your point on how the teammates treated him. This is basic playground mentality. He was viewed as a goody two-shoes. He was viewed right. as a company man. They resented Russell Wilson. They were jealous of Russell Wilson. They mocked Russell Wilson and the Go Hawks mantra. And what, what happened over time? They peeled out of the organization the guys who resented Russell Wilson, and they've built it around him. But, but just because it's built around him for now doesn't mean it's permanent. And they can go back to the way it was when this next contract gets to a point where the salary cap hit won't be devastating. And that window opens in 2022, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, and again, I think a lot of be uh, on the state of the, the Seattle Seahawks organization in general. You know, where's where's Pete Carroll at in his career? How much longer does he want to go? How much longer does John Schneider want to go? What's the quality of the roster of the football team? You know, I think, you know, again, I think you're right in a lot of ways where if we get here from two years from now and the team's in a pretty good spot where they feel like, okay, we've built up the roster again. We got some young talent. We got depth behind it and all that. Do they really want to pay Russell Wilson 40-something million dollars a year as he goes into his late 40s? I'm not so sure. If John Schneider and Pete Carroll are there, I would say no. You know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. This contract negotiation we just went through by where Russell got four years, you know, $135 million, well, that, that was different. You know, the team was not in a state of where it could survive by itself. And they realized Russell Wilson was the greatest asset on their football team. But we see it. They're turning this football team around now. And you're right. I mean, I just don't think that's the type of group that's going to put all their eggs into the the older to mid-30s Russell Wilson basket when that time comes and pay him a huge allotment of money again. And, yeah, I think with people saying that they think Russell Wilson can end his career somewhere else, I, I think that's a very real possibility as well. And he is still just 31. It's amazing how much more football he has in front of him. And yes, he has he said multiple times, including on this program, he intends to play until he's 40. Five. I think at one point you said late 40s, paying him big money late 40s. That would be impressive. Oh, late 30s. Late 30s yes, is, I think, what you meant. <laughs> Either way, you. just a decade giver. What's a decade among friends? One <laughs> yeah. last point, though. For those of you who read ProFootballTalk.com and are familiar with the comments that emerged Thursday night into Friday on CBS Sports Radio from former Browns coach Hugh Jackson. Now, I've said that John Schneider hasn't said boo about these conversations regarding a possible Russell Wilson trade to Cleveland two years ago. John Dorsey, the former Browns GM, hasn't said anything either. Hugh Jackson, the former Browns coach, said to CBS Sports Radio, I'm sure John Dorsey and John Schneider are really tight. I'm sure if they're having conversations on their own, just jiving around and doing those kinds of things, I would think if something was serious about that, 
we, the executive team in the organization, would have known. I never heard that. Well, look, here's the thing. There were many reasons, I believe, for John Dorsey to keep this to himself, one of which is Hugh Jackson has a pipeline to multiple members of the media, and he would have blabbed about it. I mean, you can't say anything to Hugh Jackson about this until you are serious about it. And even then, you better make sure Hugh Jackson signs some sort of an oath, right? You got to make sure that this doesn't get out. And I think the best way to ensure it doesn't get out is to not say anything to anyone about it, That's especially right. to Hugh Jackson while it's still in the discussion, the conceptual phase. And the other thing you got to worry about is owner Jimmy Haslam. He gets all juiced up about this, and the next thing you know, he takes the bull by the horns and he makes it happen before you're sure you want it to happen. Because, look, from Dorsey's perspective, I mean, you could say, oh, it's obvious he'd want Russell Wilson over the first pick in the draft. Well, how do you know that? Because you get the first pick in the draft at a much lower rate than Russell Wilson. You'd have been buying Russell Wilson one year away from making him the highest-paid player in all of football – and right. uh, there's a cost-benefit analysis there that, that John Dorsey would want to engage in, thinking maybe Baker Mayfield at a much lower salary is going to be as good as Russell Wilson. I mean, the, the, at the time that you haven't made the pick, the potential of that guy you want to pick exactly. is less, Chris. And based right. on 2018, it was good. Based on 2019, it wasn't good. But you don't know before you make the pick what that guy's going to be. No, you don't know. And, you know, again, John, John Dorsey and John Schneider are pretty good friends at that. You know, John Dorsey sitting there about to run a football team going, wait, John Schneider, I just saw you win a Super Bowl and go to another Super Bowl with the rookie quarterback and build the team around him. So, no, I don't want Russell Wilson to have to pay him $35 million a year. I'd like to do what you've been talking about in the last few years as far as building that Seattle team and how you did it. So, you know, it makes, it makes a lot of sense from that, that aspect. And again, I don't think this got into the serious action of they started talking about assets and what needed to be traded. Again, this, from what I know, and I'm pretty sure I'm 100% right about this, is that it was uh, discussed. And I don't know how much farther it went from there, but there was definitely discussed at some point. And think about how this comes up over the course of time. To the extent that John Schneider is dealing with an agent who has one client, the Tom Hagen of football, his name is Mark Rogers. He's a baseball agent. He's got one client. He can drive that hard bargain all the time with the Seahawks. It's going to frustrate John Schneider. So what's he going to do? He's going to complain about it to his friends. Who's one of his friends? John Dorsey. I mean, this could very well have been the latest chapter as of early 2018 in a continuation of an ongoing piss and moan session for lack of a better term sorry i'm inspired by the spirit of chris sims today where yeah eventually schneider's just complained about it so much where dorsey's like well how about uh, i take him off your hands i mean that's how easily <laughs> it can happen right that's how easy right. it can happen schneider's dreading what's going to come in 2019 oh i got to deal with this mark rogers butthole again and and he's going to want he's going to want to make this guy the highest paid player in football. He's going to want another four year extension. Oh, I really dread this. And you never know what way, you know, it, 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 it just happens. It just pops out of thin air when you're having conversations like that. And I think it's very normal and natural for those kinds of conversations to happen among friends who happen to run pro football teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, too. And, and especially with, you know, one GM that, like we said here, uh, who built the team you know, a certain way the first time around and went, oh, wait, maybe do I have a glimmer? I could call up my old buddy here and maybe get a quarterback at a cheap price and see if I could do it all over again. So, you know, again, I think that the the Seattle Seahawks are one of those teams that think about uh, all angles, have a lot of different plans. They're very well thought out and a detailed organization. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll have shown 
they're two of the best that there is in the business as far as evaluating talent, having a plan for the direction in which they want their football team to go. And that's why they've basically been in the playoffs for the last decade uh, because of the, you know, those two's ability to build a team and, and uh, see the future a little bit and see what they want to do with the football team. Yeah. I, I saw the big cat said on Friday when we reacted to this and he's absolutely right. Seahawks fans should be very happy about this, not upset because it shows that they are constantly thinking and strategizing and trying to come up with ways to make the team better. And if that includes entertaining the possibility of trading the most popular player on the roster, so be it. If it makes the team better, at least go through the mental gymnastics and see what's out there. All right. We are way, way over right out of the gates, but that's okay. We'll make it up on the back end. We wanted to have a full and fair and complete conversation about the turd we accidentally dropped into the punch bowl 11 days ago didn't even realize it was there until four days ago sorry again let's take a break when we return the nfl released a memo on friday that could have teams reopening their facilities very soon but not all of the teams the first break in the nfl's approach to ensure that all teams have the same set of rules we'll discuss that next here on pft live The announcement came on Friday that NFL teams may reopen facilities beginning on May 19. And the key aspect, the key factor, they have to be permitted to do so under governing state and local regulations. This has created a situation where some teams will be able to open and some teams will not be able to open. It depends upon what state you're in. The Giants, for example, will not be able to open. Presumably the Jets won't be able to open either. But the Falcons are opening on Tuesday. The Cardinals will be opening. The Broncos are going to have some employees come back next week. It's a phase one plan. And the thing that the NFL has done to balance out the potential competitive disadvantage, Chris, no coaches can return. No coaches. Other employees only. No players, obviously. That's still to come as they work out a plan with the NFL Players Association. But coaches are barred. And that also applies to Bill O'Brien, even though he's also the general manager of the Houston Texans. The league clarified that point for me on Friday night. So uh, some teams opening up because they can in the areas where it's permissible. Other teams having to wait. Chris, to me, this is the first break from the NFL's very careful approach to ensure that the same rules apply to all franchises, allowing some but not others to open. And it makes me wonder how much disparity the NFL will tolerate as the season approaches as the offseason unfolds and as we get closer and closer to these natural points where training camp where you're going to have training camp can't have it at home got to go on the road can you have fans in the stands well in florida you can in california you can't how are they going to deal with that there are going to be plenty of issues as the nfl gets closer and closer into the season as the season unfolds we'll find out how this works but there will be disparities and the first set of them is popping up as of tomorrow, when teams can open facilities. But according to Judy Batista of NFL Media, it's about 22 of 32 that will be able to, which means 10 teams are going to have a different set of rules applied to them where they can't fire up the engines again while the other teams are getting that head start on getting back to normal. Well, either way, I'm excited. It's good to have teams kind of get the, get the business aspect of things going, get people back in some of these facilities. We talked about the memo last week. I mean, the guidelines as far as keeping the building clean, social distancing within the building, you know, uh, between employees, I thought were all, it was all great guidelines. 
you know, I'm not worried about an, a, a competitive balance yet, Mike. I mean, even if some of the coaches and some of these teams did get to go into a building and others didn't, you know, I think plenty of teams right now are getting their work done with the Zoom meetings and everything else that way to where coaches meetings is not an issue. You know, to me, where this the NFL has to be really careful here to, you know, not let a competitive imbalance occur is anything on field wise, workout wise, anything like that. That would be totally unfair to certain organizations. Like you said, if you're a team like the New York Giants or Jets who are in New Jersey right now where things not are, you know, not always uh, not hitting on all cylinders quite yet here being so close to New York City to where, yeah, it wouldn't be fair to them if they can't go out and work out. And then yet, you know, 28 teams in football are, you know, having a little seven on seven or doing walkthroughs and things like that. That would be where I'd go, whoa, the NFL needs to step in and make sure uh, this doesn't happen any longer. So, you know, we're not there yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that things are going in the right direction. And at least we're getting some people in these buildings. Well, I still think, though, there is a necessary imbalance, though, when 10 buildings remain shut down and 22 are opening up. You know, you, you are allowing – I mean, think about the stuff that the front office staff is doing as it relates to preparing for the 2021 draft. We've heard time and again. I mean, look, sure. it's not like the, the general managers and the scouts just shut it down. They're making plans for next year. And now all of a sudden they're going to be in a position where they can begin – depending upon who shows up and how many people are allowed to be in a given facility. And they are keeping it to a limited number. But when you can reconvene at work, you can maybe be a little more productive and maybe just Definitely. that, that, that little not, boost. Yeah. Chris, that little, that, just that little boost of getting a change of scenery. The idea that we've been caught in this Groundhog Day reality for the last two and a half months now for 22 teams – some of these front office employees, some of these scouts are going to get a chance to have a change of venue, and that may energize them, whereas for the other 10 teams, they're still caught in that vortex of, of Sonny and Cher singing, I got you, babe, at 6 a.m. as Bill Murray slams down on the alarm clock. I mean, so there is an advantage there, and it's striking to me because the NFL had been obsessed with no advantage, but there will be points where it's unavoidable. That's my point. As we go forward – how many other of these things will we see where there is going to yeah, be an unavoidable right. disparity? And Peter King made the point in, in Football Morning in America a couple of weeks ago, we're just going to have to deal with it, right? There will be unfairness. There will be things about this year that are different than other years, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And the teams that can deal with it are the teams that are going to thrive. That, well, that's where I wanted to say, you know, to your defense or rebuttal. I mean, I mean, you're right. I'm not trying to disagree with you that, yeah, it will bring energy to be in the building being a team meeting room with some employees and you get to have a conversation about an important topic and bounce ideas off each other. Hey, yeah, I, I get that. I'm with you, but it's just right now the world's not perfect. And for those other 10 teams who can't, you know, get in there and have front office people in there to have some discussions right now and do all that, they'll live, they're professionals. They'll know how to figure it out. Yes. It's a little less than ideal, but I mean, I think that's what I was trying to get to, too, basically. And I just didn't say it quite as bluntly as you were Peter King. But I, I think this is going to be a year where things are not going to be fair for all the teams across the board. I mean, you might have to be on the road for five straight weeks or not play a home game. Or you have one team you go play and they got a crowd noise and the next week you're at home and you have no crowd. I don't know. But I know within the seriousness of what we're going through right now, people aren't going to want to hear some of these players, coaches, NFL personnel complain about this crap when we got 20 plus million people jobless right now and just, you know, trying to live paycheck to paycheck. So 
uh, that's where, you know, I think, you know, again, it's not, it's not earth breaking to me. I would get more concerned when, okay, now coaches are in the building. All right. That's a little advantage for that football team. Oh, wait, this team's got players in the building. They're doing walkthroughs and having meetings with the players and really getting to talk things out in the position group meetings and all that. That's when I would go, Ooh, that's not fair to those other 10 teams. They're not going to be able to catch up or lay down the groundwork for training camp as compared to the teams that are in there doing that. And that's not going to happen. I think the next big disparity will be that there will be teams that can have a normal training camp in the location of their choice. And there are going to be teams who due to the pandemic have to pack up and go somewhere else when they would rather not do it. Even though over the years, plenty of teams have chosen to pack up and go somewhere else for training camp. The trend has been stay home for camp and there are going to be teams that aren't going to be able to stay home for camp. And that's going to work a little bit of disparity into things. And then you touched on it. And I think that this is going to be a very real dynamic when we get to September and October, there will be teams that have fans in the stands. There will be teams that have full stadiums there will be teams that have no fans present. Will you play games in states where you can't have fans and it will be an obvious disparity? Or do you send those teams elsewhere? And even if you send them elsewhere, who the hell is going to show up and cheer for those teams? It's not like their fans That's are right. going to follow them to a different state and fill the stadium and create the crowd noise. Or do you allow actual artificial crowd noise in the stadium, not to just enhance the broadcast, but in the stadium? Right White noise, crowd noise like you have at practice to simulate what you're going to face on game day to balance out that disadvantage. Those are the kinds of things the NFL is going to have to be thinking about because, look, and I understand the bigger picture here, but you know as well as anyone, Chris, they love to complain. They complain about any actual or perceived disparity because, hey, if nothing else, we're making an excuse for the fact that we're going to lose the game. The best organizations say no complaints, no excuses, but there are plenty of organizations that do complain and do make excuses, and there will be plenty of fodder for that this season. All right, we need to take a break. When we return, you're going to hear Chris rave about the ugliest uniforms in football, or at least one of the ugliest (laughs) uniforms in football. And then we're going to talk about which young running backs deserve a second contract. More Pro Football Talk Live coming at you right after this. My number three, I'm going new school here. I'm going new school. This is my only new school uniform on my list. The Seattle Seahawks. Oh, Yeah. I don't know why. I just, first off, hey, they they were a team that rebranded. Guess what happened? Oh, they've only been relevant for the last 10 years ever since they rebranded. I love their all blue look. I love their all gray look. I love their all fluorescent green look that they wear as their color color rush uniform. Oh my gosh. I know. I don't know what it is, but man, look at I mean, especially with the fluorescent green cleats to go with it and the sleeves. I mean, I, it, those ones might be so ugly, they're good. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I, I, you know, I'm usually not a fan of the new age uniforms, but I, I just feel like the Seattle Seahawks found something to me. And like the Minnesota Vikings, they were one of the first teams to have that matte helmet that didn't shine yeah. like that, which I think is very cool. Not one of my favorite helmets, but I think when you tie it all together, it is one of my favorite uniforms in football. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting 
lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet, which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Normally, we don't take uh, running backs in the first round, but here we're sitting with, with Clyde sitting there, and, and we're going, this guy is tremendous. Brett Veach, who does, he, he covers every base there is, 15 times over, love this kid. And every guy that he's loved has been a good football player for us. Andy Reid with Mike Tirico last week talking about the decision to make Clyde over to Lair the first-round pick, number 32 overall in the draft. We had Brett Veach on PFTPM, the GM of the Chiefs, right after the draft. And they, they were aware, Chris, that you and I both had them taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire at number 32. They get very nervous about that kind of stuff because uh, then you have to worry about getting leapfrog. But they'd have found somebody else. That's how it always goes. If the guy that you want isn't there, you move on to someone else. But they decided to go running back in round one. And look, I, we we said it ahead of time. It's one of the weaknesses on that team. When when your leading rusher is Damian Williams with 498 yards, 90 of which came on one play against the Vikings, and you've got a high-powered passing attack and you can't complement that with a meaningful running game, yeah, that's an area where you need to beef it up. Obviously, they should. And and look now, now it's not like Andy Reid has a has a reputation for three yards in a cloud of dust, but that's an area where they could stand to improve. And, you know, we spitballed about Le'Veon Bell being traded there because they were one of the teams that called about Le'Veon Bell last year, according to Bell, before the trade deadline. We talked about Leonard Fournette and how he would fit with the Chiefs. And, of course, Chiefs fans lost their minds about that possibility because we're perfectly fine with Damian Williams. Well, okay, then they they wouldn't have drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Chris. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and, you know, and, and even like to further, yeah, of course you want somebody to threaten them with the run game, right? To have the balance there. And we know Kansas City wants to throw the ball aggressively down the field and the Mahomes air passing shell and all that. But really the real importance is going to be in the short passing game, like in Alvin Kamara for the, the New Orleans Saints or Darren Sproles back in the day for the New Orleans Saints. But I think even more accentuated than that, because this is a different offense than New Orleans. And this is where it's going to be, I think, the beauty of the pick, like we talked about during the draft, Mike, was you're worried about Mahomes. He's taking a deep drop. Oh, man, we got to contain him in the back end. He can scramble. He can run. You know, he can make all these off-schedule type throws. Watkins deep. Tyreek Hill deep. Kelsey's 15 and 20 yards down the middle of the field. So now you're worried about Mahomes in a deep drop and containing him. 
four, four two receivers running down the field for bombs. And now Kelsey in the middle of the field, who's left over to get an Edwards Hilaire, you know, five yards down the field, working the flat or working some linebacker and one-on-one pass coverage. That is where it's going to be deadly. And Mike, you and I both know, we talk about this a lot. Great offenses make you defend every square inch of the field. And Kansas City already was making you like pretty much defend every square inch of the field. But now they've gotten it down to like every blade of grass on the field. Like you're in deep crap. They got so many weapons around. And look, there's an argument to be made to never use a first-round pick on a running back unless it's a guy you really love who you think is going to be great. You can find running backs later in the draft, round two, round three, all the way to round seven, all the way to undrafted like an Arians Foster. Arian Foster, excuse me. So uh, I, it, it, it's amazing to see how some of these careers unfold. And we've talked in recent weeks about the Christian McCaffrey, second contract, other guys who are in line for one. 22 running backs were taken in the 2015 draft, Chris, and currently none are playing for the teams that drafted them. We are five years removed from that draft, and the 22 running backs taken are not with the teams that took them. Todd Gurley, cut by the Rams, signed by the Falcons. Melvin Gordon, not re-signed by the Chargers. He signed with the Broncos. David Johnson, traded to the Texans after a contract that the Cardinals ended up regretting. Tevin Coleman, long gone from the Falcons. Um, So, you know, it raises questions about will teams continue to recommit? And look at the recent history of second contracts. More regrets than rewards. You know, the biggest argument to not give Christian McCaffrey a huge contract was, look at what happened with Todd Gurley. Look at what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, and not that Ezekiel Elliott was bad last year, but he was no longer that that clear-cut top running back in the game. He right. wasn't playing at the level that they paid him at. And, uh, I, you know, you just have to wonder what teams are going to do with this next wave of running backs who are due for their second contracts, Chris. Yeah, I, well, I, I think, you know, the, the, new, the new wave of thinking, and I know we've touched on this a little bit, but when you do draft a running back, I don't care if you draft them in the first round, the second round, the third round, whatever it may be, you know, we have to get out of this old world thinking of, oh, we drafted our running back and he's our guy for the next seven or eight years. No, it's a three to four year investment. Every three years, teams should be probably looking at going, all right, we need to draft a running back to bolster the room for depth or maybe hey, we need a we need a higher pick to get, you know, some some uh, higher quality athlete in here at the running back position. However, these teams want to use their investments or or assets as far as draft picks are concerned. But that's really, I think, as far as you can go. I mean, you're right. We got examples to show you that after you, when you get after year four, it gets dangerous. It does. And I think that's how it has to be evaluated. One, you have to realize you're drafting a running back for the short term. We're going to see how it goes. And really, then you have to evaluate the three to four years that the running back's there and go, okay, how much wear and tear has he had? Where is he at physically? And that should be what dictates how much you're going to pay the guy in the future and all that. I think that's why Carolina didn't blink with Christian McCaffrey. One, they know how awesome he was, but two, they looked at him and they go, man, he takes care of his body. He hasn't really been banged up so far. I think this is a safe investment as far as giving a running back money. And they deemed that, and then they went with it. So that's what teams, I think, have to do here as, as we go on with the running, back, uh, the running back position. And this is one of the realities of having a workhorse running back. 
he becomes a superstar. He becomes a favor of the fantasy football crowd. He becomes a guy that all of your fans buy his jersey. He's the face of your franchise. That's what the Panthers are dealing with. And the challenge becomes, if he ever gets to the point where he's not living up to that contract, it's a lot harder to rip the name off the back of the jersey and move on because the fans aren't going to want to do it. You're stuck with that guy, and you may be in a position where you end up keeping him longer than you ever would have because of the fact that he's become this superstar force in your organization. That's part of the reason why you don't give the guy the second contract. That's part of the reason why you have two or three running backs, so you never have that one guy who burns so brightly that you have to give him the big contract. I mean, look at what the Colts have done with Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack was on the list of guys that maybe you're going to get a second contract. Not anymore. Not not now that no. they've signed or drafted Jonathan Taylor and signed him to a rookie contract. That that's that's part of that willingness you have to have as a team. That's a position that churns. And if you do that long-term big money deal with that guy who's become a superstar, you may regret it quickly, like the Rams did with Todd Gurley, the original guy, Chris, the first that's right. guy who 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 brought this dynamic to light was Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander was a guy that the Seahawks didn't know what they were going to do. Well, we were going to sign him or what? 2005, he has an MVP season. Well, we got to sign him. We got to give him big money. Everybody loves him. He's the, he's the, the core of our offense. And then one year later, they couldn't wait to get rid of him. And, and we still see that. We still seem to see teams fall into that trap because I think they back themselves into a corner and they have no choice at that point. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the Dallas Cowboys, they'd be one of those teams you could look at. And listen, I know we both were sitting here pounding on the table. Hey, Ezekiel Elliott, get your money. Do all those things. Uh, We were were always in favor of seeing the player get their money. But, you know, I think Dallas, yes, when you draft a running back like Ezekiel Elliott as a top five draft pick and then make him to what you're saying, Mike, the real focal point of the offense and don't have a running back rotation – you know, starting part of your team's belief in DNA is, man, Ezekiel Elliott, our team was built for him to be that guy. What, or can we really win if he's not in there? Can we still be as good? So Dallas backed themselves into that corner a little bit. And that's the perfect example. And yeah, last year was a good year by Ezekiel Elliott. But I think you and I were underwhelmed a few times when we were sitting there on Sundays watching at, at NBC Sports going, man, that's a big hole. Man, there's only one guy within the 30-yard area here for him to make somebody miss and do it. And he didn't do it. So that's where, uh, again, it's, it's going to be really on these football teams to make sure they replenish the position and then evaluate the guy who's playing that position to see where they're at. Like, Mike, where, who would you rather be? You know, like a guy like Alvin Kamara, I look at him right now. He's going to be up for a new deal. He's a big, important part of that offense there. But they've used a little bit of running back by committee in, the, in New Orleans. So he might get a few more years on his career, right? But he might not be able to ask for the big type of money that like a Christian McCaffrey got because his stats aren't going to justify it because he's been part of a committee running back backfield. And that's where teams are going to have to balance it out. And even players are going to have to start talking about that and seeing where they want to what teams they want to play on as far as the situation is concerned. Yeah, you know, I think the Saints would say that carry for carry, yard for yard, Kamara is better than McCaffrey. They just don't use him as much. Well, how do you pay a guy that you don't use as much? You got to justify that salary. You know, I I get a kick out of this because anytime we talk about Ezekiel Elliott and his contract and his performance, there's one specific viewer who will send hostile, profane, nasty emails because – We are the ones that this person blames for Ezekiel Elliott having a down year because we encouraged him, Chris, 
to hold out. And as we were talking about it today, I thought, you know what? I bet I'm going to have a fresh email from this guy who hate watches the show. And I did. So good morning, Vince. We hear you. We see you. And we appreciate you watching, even though you think you hate us. You know you can't live without us. And I'll just say this, too. Vince has recently suggested, Chris, that we begin arguing that Saquon Barkley should hold out this year. He can't. There's no reason to hold out. He's got to have three years in. Next year, Vince, get back to us. Maybe we'll be arguing that Saquon Barkley well, should hold out. That's when the window opens on his second contract. Well, what's Vince mad at? I mean, he's mad that we, we pounded on the table for Zeke to get more money. I mean, yeah, we want to see him get more money. Now, it's not our job to make sure he stays in shape and is a professional in the meantime. I mean, that's on him. So, you know, again, I, I don't know what to say there. You know, yes, we're always in favor of the player getting the money over the billion-dollar owner. And Ezekiel Elliott has put in – he put in a lot of wear and tear in his body his first few years of the Dallas Cowboys. But, yeah, you can't blame us for telling him to hold out and, and get more <laughs> money. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't even begin to paraphrase the emails that this guy sends. They are so hostile and so profane – it's actually entertaining, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging him and others to do the same thing. Hey, I just want to make sure our friends in the U.K. and Ireland watching on Sky Sports understand I don't really like it. I don't enjoy it, so don't send me. I'm serious. I'm, I'm trying to make this point clearly. Do not send me a bunch of hostile, profane emails. I don't get some perverse pleasure out of that. All right, let's I take don't a know break. about that, U.K. or England. Let's just there, send them thanks. emails and find out the hard there's, way. <laughs> there's some potential changes coming to the Rooney Rule. We'll touch on that next, and uh, we'll tell you how you're going to hear more about that later in the day. More PFT Live coming right after this. No offseason program means players left to their own devices, and four were taken into custody over the weekend for recent incidents. Cody Latimer, DeAndre Baker, Quentin Dunbar, Ed Oliver, all facing different charges, although Dunbar's and Baker's arise from the same incident. We've got full coverage of all of this at PFT and what it may mean for the future of the NFL. More PFT Live right after this. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.